early identification of talent, early specialization, and a focus on winning at the expense of fun and development. And all three of those, um, from, from the research that Sporting Z has done, and from what I see um, around me, not, not necessarily just here at Wellington College, but you know, in the club sport environment in Wellington, all three of those issues are having a significant impact upon the quality of the youth sport experience. You're listening to the NZPE Teacher Cast, a podcast sharing some of the inspirational stories from amazing teachers and educators within New Zealand and around the world. Today's episode is sponsored by Sports Strapping New Zealand, online strapping courses designed by a physiotherapist to help everyday people learn the basics of simple strapping techniques for injury management. With practical strapping videos and automated quizzing, Sports Strapping New Zealand is here to equip you with the knowledge to help others. Check it out now at sportstrapping.co.nz. Kia ora everyone and welcome to episode 38 of the NZPE TeacherCast uh, and just before we get started another reminder that um, in a couple of weeks Dale Sidebottom and I are doing our Learning With Games workshops. We've got one in Hamilton, that's on the 20th I think and then one in Christchurch on the 21st so I'll put the links to those bookings uh, in the show notes um, so jump along, it'll be really good to have you there. But on to this episode, uh, very shortly I'm going to introduce um, a head of department from Wellington College. His name's David Cornane, and I don't know David particularly well, but I've had a little bit to do with him over the last sort of few years as he's moved into town. And when I consider my interactions with him, I guess my my feel the feel that I get from him is he's somebody that gives things a lot of thought and consideration. And the stories I hear about what he's doing here at Wellington College um, are really interesting. And I think he has uh, a really strong knowledge of our curriculum and what it means to be uh, a physical educator at this point in time within the current environment. So I'm looking forward to having a sit down with him and having a good chat about uh, basically the environment of school sport at the moment, which is something that's a little bit controversial for a number of reasons, but I think he is going to add a lot of um, value here to you, the audience. So David, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Carl. Before we get started, can you tell us a little bit about your teaching background and experience and a few tidbits about your school and the students you teach? Okay, um, so yeah, you alluded to in the introduction the fact that I'm here at Wellington College at the moment, but just in my third year um, in the city, I've been a, been a man of the suburbs before that and the fact that I was working out at St. Pat's Silverstream for 13 years prior to moving into here to Wellington College. Um, prior to that, had had done my teacher training down at Otago University, so was great to be back at conference down there um, last week and then moved up here um, just past the millennium um, teacher training here in Wellington and have, have worked predominantly in boys schools in Wellington since then with a, with a first off year at Upper College prior to those experiences um, and here at Wellington College working came to a job um, came from a job as HOD at Silverstream to a job here that was assistant HOD to Greg Charlotte who's now a DP out of Mana College and just moved into the, into the HOD role when he vacated this position um, and have been employed as a wellbeing coordinator at the school 
and what we're probably going to be talking most about is the pilot project that I'm sort of leading um, in, associate, in association with Sport NZ. So you, 13 years at Stream, you said? Correct. How many years there were you HOD for? Five, I think. Um, so the majority of my early time at, at Silverstream, I was deaning, um, so involved with the pastoral care and welfare of the students um, in a range of different systems and setups um, and the unique environment of the boarding school sort of culture out there at, there at Silverstream. But I, I think that my first year of uh, HOD, full HOD role was I think either 2010 or 2011, which would mean it's either five or six years in that role. What what drives you to stay at a school for 13 years? It's, it's a long time. It was a long time, uh, and it was really interesting that when I did come to resign, was the first time that I actually realised it had been 13 years. Um, it was interesting in that I was sort of at a point in time where I'd tried to take on a role that involved both curriculum and pastoral care leadership at the same time as their sort of next challenge. And that wasn't wasn't open in the current environment there at Silverstream. It wasn't wasn't a possible opportunity. And what I did was sort of look around the staff at the time and, and recognise that many had been there um, been there for extensive periods of time and many of those were still adding real value to the school and the community and, and others weren't. Uh, those that had been there for longer than 13 years and weren't adding value but then also some that were there for even less and, and weren't adding value and, and it was that value added I guess that really motivated myself. I'll be honest with you and I sort of looked inwardly at that time and recognised that I'd shaved about six to seven strokes off my golf handicap in the last six months <laughs> and and I recognised that maybe I was someone responsible for not adding the value that I could um, to the job and it just so happened that at that point in time Wellington College had recognised um, the need for somebody to coordinate the college's efforts with regards to student well-being. Um, so the Education Gazette um, had a job advertised that had that curriculum and pastoral care leadership combined and, and I jumped at the opportunity really, to, opportunity to come in here, experience a new environment, new, cha new challenges, um, new colleagues, working with, working with guys like Greg Schall and Lincoln Rules here at the college has been, has been really positive. Did you, when, you when, that, when Greg left and decided that he was going to head off to Mana, um, did you feel that when you went to apply obviously you're going to apply because I remember when that job came up I'll be honest I had to think oh Wellington College that could be that could be a nice place to work and then I went oh that's right David's there there's no way anyone's getting that over David but did you feel when you went to apply for that job that there were some big shoes to fill because Greg he's a pretty amazing I've worked pretty closely with him in the past and he's a pretty impressive educator yeah he is amazing and and in terms of the work that he's done curriculum wise he's one of New Zealand's sort of leading guys with regards to scholarship level and, and really that the, the academic rigor that is our senior the senior aspects of our curriculum but then at the same time he's a guy who's committed to being involved in first 15 rugby and other sporting coaching roles for over a decade at this place and has experienced you know the highs and the lows and the successes and the failures that comes with taking on those extra roles um so certainly I haven't necessarily tried to step into his shoes. I, I guess I've tried to create my own shoes to wear within the role um, in, in the sense that I haven't you know, necessarily taken on all of the aspects of what Greg gave to this place because ultimately I'm a different professional from what he was, but without a doubt he, part of my motivation for coming here was, was looking up to him as a bit of a role model within the profession, without a doubt. Nice. So you recently presented at Penns. First of all, what did you think about the conference? And secondly, 
how did you find the experience of getting up in front of your peers, which is, you know, that can be quite scary, and sharing your story? Yeah, so the conference was awesome. Uh, so many of us, I guess, got excited by the opportunity to get back to Dunedin and experience a few days at least um, uh, living in warmer hotel rooms rather than the, the, di- the dives that we used to sort of live in while studying <laughs> down there. Um, the networking components of conference were really enjoyable uh, and the opportunity to get a great insight into the practice that's going on in other schools around the country. Um, a couple of sort of real memories for me with regards to that was um, two presenters from separate Christchurch schools that sort of looked at how they were using the same R model to to utilise technology to actually add and transform education rather than just you know replacing other things we could have done with paper and pen and they were really inspiring and then another um, memory that stood out for me was the Hastings boys staff um, their PE staff but then also their pastoral staff and looking at their Good Akinna Good Akinna Man project and what themselves and Gisborne boys have done in recent years with regards to character education I I, I didn't go to that workshop but and. Jordan alluded to it in the previous podcast, which actually hasn't aired yet. But um, the Hucker story sounds sounds yeah. awesome. It's it's phenomenal. Eh? Um, there, there's you, you sort of look at those stories of what's going on at schools that are in many ways similar to ours, and, and think about okay, what's going to work for our context? What what's the real value in what they're doing? Mm-hmm. And whilst Hastings are just at the beginning of their um, story, they're at the beginning of their experience. There's already real great learnings for them and and us as I guess schools looking to curate ideas in this area um, and yeah really impressed by the work that they're doing but probably what impressed me the most was the work that they were doing alongside of Gisborne Boys and the openness that Gisborne had in in allowing Hastings to I guess follow a similar pathway that they had to share rather than to think this is this is ours, this is our this is our strength, this is our creation and, and closed doors. They were opening doors and allowing other schools to learn from that. And, and I think that the decision for our Hastings boys to present at conference was all about opening their doors. Um, I've been in email communications with the, the guys that presented at conference post already and they've shared resources and shared ideas further as well and it's awesome. That's the way it, it needs to be. When, and it's good to see that they've recognised that and they're giving something back to the community as yeah, well because yeah. they've obviously found value from what Gisborne Boys um, had shared with them and, and guided them through. And, um, yeah, by all accounts, it was an amazing workshop. It, yeah, it really was. And they don't think that they've got it perfect yet. They, a key part of what it was was that they, they allowed us, the, the uh, attendees of their workshop, to, I guess, share our own ideas and experience as well. And hopefully they've gone away from it also feeling better and more prepared for the future than they were before presenting as well. So it was a really mutual sort of um, approach towards learning, which was great. I um, That was a real highlights of conference. I was... Uh, I, I don't want to use the word frustrated, but I guess it was a sense of frustration that uh, the health association wasn't a part of what we were doing down there. I think it was it's a real shame that uh, that it's not this, um, I guess, one-stop shop for, for all of the subject areas associated with us. And I think that it's a, it, it's, it's a, it's a loss to us to not be able to um, work alongside of the health um, subject association down there. Um, having said that, their, their upcoming conference in Auckland sounds really exciting and we've got staff heading along there as well. you going to it? Uh, no, so sending our assistant HID and one of our other younger staff along to it as well. Um, and yeah, and its program looks amazing. Um, its program sitting uh, alongside of the program that we experienced last week um, in, the, in the recent years sort of conferences. I, th- I personally thought 
looked was really awesome as well to get that experience together and ultimately health and physical education you know need to work as as close together as we possibly can moving forward and your your presentation yeah i i I love the challenge of it I've, i've sort of presented in this area i don't know probably a dozen times in the last six months but never felt as nervous probably going into it as as to a room full of you know my peers my contemporaries and and, and it was it it was hard to get started um but then the value of actually the experience of it and then the reflections after it have been probably yeah some of the most valuable experiences that i've got along the way it was awesome to get positive feedback about sort of the key messages of the presentation and to get a sort of sense that there's a real openness and willingness across the New Zealand physical education and sporting environment to acknowledge the issues that do exist and that acknowledgement I guess is the first step in trying to create some change for the for the betterment of our students. Yeah and and that's really good that you got that feedback. I always find when I speak is the same thing I'm very nervous but then uh, you realise that once you get going you actually know the content that you're talking about and when you know the content everything gets much more comfortable so yeah. in fact you're getting all of that um, feedback and you've done this you know, six or seven times in the last 12 months you obviously know your content really well which is that, once you do that once you know that it's everything gets really easy Yeah, I find you know you're no longer speaking off slides and you're just getting up yeah. there and, and yeah. owning it and it's the whole cliche that we use with our students, I guess, is that uh, failing to prepare is preparing to fail. So, so those old cliches, which I try and avoid using, but have have now on air, um, was really key. There is is exactly what it was all about. So, tell us about this pilot project that Wellington College are a part of. What's that all about? Okay, um, so it's a very recent thing, really. Sport NZ um, created what they call their talent plan in two thousand and sixteen. And their talent plan is, I guess, a five-year strategic plan for looking at youth sports specifically in this country and what sort of needs to change or be modified in order to create a better outcome. The outcome from Sport NZ's perspective is more people being involved in sport and physical activity so that more people are at a level whereby they can be those selected for pathway to podium projects and national teams and, and have us continuing to bat above our our weight on an international sporting scale. Wellington College had a document um, produced in 2017 called the Onward Sports Review, um, put together by a a guy called Nigel Pollock, um, which was an audit of our current um, sport and physical activity uh, and extracurricular practices, and a set of uh, recommendations or suggestions moving forward in order to achieve a vision which had a focus upon uh, excellence, development and welfare of student athletes. So that onward review was seen as having a philosophy that was in line with the Sport NZ talent plan. Um, so Sport NZ went about a process of selecting six pilot projects from um, from a multitude of different regional, national sporting organisations um, in 2017 and six pilot projects were selected um, with Wellington College being the sole school out of those six pilot projects and it was the selection was very much based on philosophical alignment between our review and and their talent plan so the other pilot projects well the other wellington based pilot project is is capital hockey um and then there's a couple of mainland sporting regional organizations in mainland netball and mainland football and auckland rugby and college sport auckland um sort of round out the the pilot projects that are a part of this you you mentioned that you you had 
somebody look at your current practices around the excellence, development, and well-being? What what were the outcomes of that review? So the review really looked at the fact it was, it was a strengths-based review, and the fact that it, this wasn't an acknowledgement that you know Wellington College was a broken model with regards to sport or physical activity. Rather, it was okay. We're doing fine. We're doing good, but we could be doing a whole lot better for our young people and. Ultimately, the the vision that stemmed from that onwards review is that we wanted to be at the, I guess, at the forefront nationally with regards to athlete development, um, welfare of student athletes, and um, and sporting excellence. And that was sort of the the vision of the onwards um, recommendations. Where we've taken it since then, since the publication of the review, is very much put the priority of student welfare well and truly in front of those other aspects of the vision. Athlete development is number two and and as a result of that, if there's some sort of sense of, you know, some version of sporting excellence and success, then then great. But it's not it's not the driving force behind what we're trying to achieve. I think that's a good approach. I think quite often teachers sit here and say we need to do this, we need to do that, this is broken, we need to fix this. I mean, because I don't think there's any school that could say, oh, yeah, we, we deliver a great package to our student-athletes and we're all good in that area. Mm. But by actually arranging a review and having a more formal approach to that, I think you're going to put yourself in a much better position to go to senior management and say, hey, look, this is what we found, this is what's going on, this needs to change. Yeah. Because you can't just sit there and say, we need to change something because I think so Um, so that's a good approach for anybody that's kind of listening and has uh, some of those frustrations around those interactions um, and that sort of environment I mean that's a good approach to take I'd certainly chip in and also say and clarify I guess and this is a pretty recent epiphany for me that when review happens doing it from a strengths based approach is is key if it's quite often reviews within schools I believe had tend to occur in a deficit model yep. and tend to occur okay what's what's wrong what's broken how do we fix that as you as you alluded to uh, myself and a DP here went to a positive um, psychology conference hosted at Christ's at the end of term one and one key thing that came out of that was this idea of appreciative inquiry about when we're looking at practice in whatever area of schooling or life that we want to appreciative inquiry is about okay what's good and right about what we're currently doing, then stepping towards the blue sky, thinking about what we could become, and then trying to bridge the gap between what we currently are and what's good about what we currently are and what we could become. Not necessarily ignoring the flaws or the weaknesses or anything like that, but not focusing upon those, focusing upon, okay, what's what's good already, and, and I believe that that's what sort of happened with this onward. I mean, that, that's perfect. That's very white hat thinking, you know. If you let's say you want to see change and and sure that might be the case but if you take to your senior management your principal and say this sucks this sucks this sucks what's he gonna he's gonna you know they shut go down backs and, against the wall definitely yeah, don't yeah. they yeah but if you say man we're doing all these amazing things we've done this we're doing this we're doing this but we could be operating up here and we could be seeing these outcomes and we could be seeing these changes then can we look at exploring that i think that's a a much better approach to take. Yeah, and, and I think that many educators in New Zealand could probably benefit from that shift in mindset. I think that so often we get tied down um, by what's required within our profession because we get tied down by the the time taken to do all of this marking or planning or whatever. And in reality, if, there's, if we could shift all of our mindsets towards 
the great things about what we do and everything like that, um, then I think it would, you know, a be better for our own staff well-being, for our own personal um, capacity to get up in the morning and look forward to what we're going to do for the day, but then also have greater outcomes for our schools and our systems as well. So student athletes, when it comes to school sport, what, what do you think the big issues are that we're facing in the current environment? So it's what I think slash what I'll bring up here is what Sport NZ thinks as well, because they're the experts and, and what being a part of this pilot does is it now gives us the the evidence to back up our claims as well. Um, the three key issues that Sport NZ um, have identified as being the issues in, in youth sport in New Zealand are uh, early identification of talent, early specialisation and a focus on winning at the expense of fun and development. And all three of those um, from from the research that Sporting Z has done and from what I see um, around me, not, not necessarily just here at Wellington College, but you know in the club sport environment in Wellington, all three of those issues are having a significant impact upon the quality of the youth sport experience. Um, when we think about early identification of talent, we have this um, now in New Zealand sport, we have this shift towards the belief that the sooner we can identify little Johnny as being better than little Jimmy, the greater chance little Johnny has of being the next all black or tall black or, or whatever we want them to be. So we have situations in New Zealand now where seven and eight year olds are getting told that they are better than than their peers, than their contemporaries. And um, the guy that I work directly with, with at Sport NZ talked about his own son's experience as, a, as an eight-year-old um, in a sporting club environment where a hundred-odd kids, all eight-year-olds, were put through a sort of process of identification of talent. Twenty were told that they were, they were great. And Eighty were, by default, told that they weren't quite as good. What Sport NZ now has the research to, to support is the fact that those 20 kids are more likely to drop out because they will burn out physically, they will burn out mentally and emotionally because this pressure to become something that they're not yet becomes too great. Um, the Sporting Z has data around, you know, GPs are now getting youth athletes presenting with repetitive stress injuries that used to happen for people at the end of their sporting careers. It's, you know, 40 year old broken down dudes coming in are now getting sort of presented with those same conditions from 18 and 19 year olds because they've been placed in a high-performance type sporting program from the ages of 8, 9, 10 and right through their secondary schooling. And the kids at the other end of that model, the other 80 kids, are tending to drop out of sport as well. Not all of them, but many of them because they are almost being treated as second-class citizens whose experiences um, are lower quality than what they otherwise could have been. And they're not de developing the love of sport and physical activity that we would want from them because they they've had this, um, I guess, this label placed upon them of as being a, a lesser able um, person, athlete. This, this area, I mean, the specialisation and, and the talent ID, it's, it's fascinating to me. And your knowledge in this area is, is far superior to mine because you've done a lot of this work. But I, I think there's also these environmental factors surrounding these kids. Like, for example... I went through a lot of that talent ID and early specialisation and, you know, I was a high jumper and a basketballer growing up and that was all I was allowed to participate in because part of it was financial for my for my family. But so I was just high jump, high jump, high jump and then basketball, basketball, basketball in the, in the winter. 
and for me I saw a lot of success through that and I enjoyed that and I was motivated and I, I don't feel I had burnout I was passionate and all of that so when I come now to my daughter and my son I mean a good example this week she's been doing a holiday program and uh, it's been really good for her because she's almost you know she's almost right there with her swimming and I've, I sit there and I'm like oh you just need to just get a little bit better because she's already in like the second to top class and I'm like and then I'm watching the girl next to her and she started off the start of the week really poor and she's catching up and I'm like man she's catching I want to say to her she's catching up you need to lift your game and then at the end of the week you know just yesterday the the head instructor came over and said oh, I've spoken with um, your daughter's teacher and she said that she's probably going to pass her and she can go up to the next class we'll bump her up and I'm like inside I'm like yeah that's awesome it's success it's winning and so we're saying that Tunnel ID is bad and all of this is bad and I look at the research and I see it and I understand that but then I think about my experiences and I'm like man it can't be that bad surely there's a few interesting things about what you say there that I'll pick <laughs> up on the first one is that um, there are certain sports or physical activities and, whereby and sorry, before we get, sorry don't get me wrong I'm, I'm not that type of dad that sits there and I'm smashing my daughter and going you need to lift your game <laughs> and pick it up you know we're coming last I'm, yeah. I'm very much open to all of this and you know, it's all about having fun and the experience. Yeah. So what I'll pick up on is the fact that you use the sporting example with your daughter of swimming, and there are some some sporting contexts that by necessity, I guess, almost require mm. something in the way of specialisation in, in a format earlier rather than others, and swimming slash gymnastics, some of these sort of more... Um, technical based or aesthetic based sports potentially sort of lend themselves for that I then sort of reflect on your own experiences growing up and you talk about you know it was only high jump and it was only basketball and but there's an and in the middle there mm. for so many of our kids today there's not an and in the middle early specialization is it's a singular thing for 12 months of the year year in year out for a period of time so as a part of this process we did an audit of all Wellington College's um, extracurricular involvement in 2017 to better inform our practice so and of the of the cohorts that are back at school this year so all of our kids that are this year year 10 to 13 last year were 9 to 12 we looked at what they did so it's about 1400 kids and of those 1400 kids about 400 of them have a singular sporting experience for 12 months of the year year in year out wow. so you know they look at it and they think well no I don't because I do football and I do futsal it's, it's the same damn thing yeah. and and um, national sporting organisations have picked up on things like futsal or renegade hockey or 3v3 basketball and they're trying to say okay these are opportunities to get athletes from other coasts to come and experience this what's actually happening is that those opportunities are giving greater capacity for those already involved in the sport to do that singular sport for the entire year so what is happening, what happened in your time was okay, for six months of the year my focus is basketball and for six months it's high jump, that's wicked, that's awesome, that's, that's not early specialisation, that's a, that's a balanced approach. In today's world, so many kids and so many families and so many sporting organisations have lost a sense of seasons, the winter and the summer sports season that was your experience, no longer exists for the 400 of our kids that play football and football or play hockey and renegade hockey or basketball and 3v3 or rugby and sevens that eats into the season now um so early specialization when we really look at this is we look at okay it's it's this singular thing and what it results in is 12 months of the year where that athlete is doing the same basic movement fundamental movement patterns 12 months of the year no break for that movement or that muscle group 
which is leading to those, as I alluded to earlier, those RSI type injuries happening 20 years earlier than they previously would have. Um, I don't, I don't want to speak about your body and how much it's potentially broken down over the years oh, or whatever. It's pretty broken, but but, yeah. but but I think that if it had been 12 months of the year basketball for you as a 13, 14, 15, 16, 17 year old, then it would have broken down a whole lot earlier than mm. it currently is. Mm. I think of a first 15 that I coached at Silverstream, a highly talented group of athletes who'd been in Wellington Rugby Union's under 13, under 15, under 16 programs through to a first 15. And in that season, they underperformed and had seven guys going under the knife for shoulder surgeries. That is up for me is unheard of. Is how is this happening to our to our young athletes? How is it happening? Is because they're getting smashed around in that singular sporting context, twelve months of the year, year in year out in their in their growth and development. Yeah, I mean that's see. I I, I recall sitting there and speaking to all of my friends um, when we. When we talk about specialization and they were doing six or seven sports and in my head I was like well how, how am I how are you supposed to get good at that when you're playing six or seven what are you going to be good at and because I, I placed a lot of value on excelling and, and and stuff like that but I guess kind of my point there is man we've got a lot of work ahead of us when we consider some of the experiences that people our age now the parents went through when they're young and you know you're trying to not only give this um, this knowledge around early specialisation and stuff like that, but you've got to that has to be sent to the parents as well. They've yeah. got to understand that. Like we understand that being physical educators, but yeah, not only you're dealing with the kids who are now having it forced down their throat that they, if you want to be the best, you have to do this twelve months of the year. But we know the research says that's not true. But you've, it's not just them; it's the parents as well. Yeah. And, and where we are at with our project is that we've spend the last six months engaging with our, our school leadership and with the clubs and the committees of various codes directly and very much the next step in the process is that is that engagement with the families themselves um, and we've started that already via um, you know newsletters and and college Facebook pages and everything like that no longer is our college our Wellington College Sports Facebook page just about results and information, but it's also about sharing readings and insight with regards to this sort of shift in philosophy as well. And then it's getting, I guess, directly in front of those those families as well. I will say that there was um, uh, there's already been some of that engagement, like the members of our clubs and our committees are mums and dads and everything like that. And then going along to specific sports committee meetings earlier this year I went along with the assumption that there's going to be a whole lot of resistance from the mum and the dad of of superstar little Johnny because we're trying to tell them that you know their approach over the last four five six years has been wrong and in reality I've been really pleased with how receptive those those families have been some of those that I'd assume assumed would be the most resistant to change um there's still a whole lot of work to do in terms of engagement with at that level but some of the real engagement also has to happen alongside of the regional sporting organisations and the national sporting organisations themselves. I presented at the, um, the Wellington Region's Directors of, Director of Sports meeting um, a couple of months ago and a, a head of sport at a Wellington school that will remain nameless for this talked about a young athlete at her school, a 14-year-old girl who was awesome in a bunch of different areas but was getting told from a national sporting organisation and one specific code that okay, you're now 14, you need to give up all this other crap that's getting in the road and focus solely on this. Your support and your funding from us 
is reliant upon that. We will not continue to support you in your development in our sporting area if you continue to involve yourself in these other things. So what is family of, of this young athlete supposed to do when that's the message that they're getting from a national sporting organisation? And I was just about to touch on that before you shared that story. Like that, you know, the for a national sporting organisation organization to have, you know, to be out there educating the adults, it seems to go against what they, you know, they want championship teams, they want national representatives, they want success in the sporting field. So then say, hey, you know, you need to slow down or yeah. it seems against what they... What they want, but yeah, you uh, you spoke a lot about the word success in, in your presentation at pens, and ironically, how that term is a basis for a lot of failure. Can we talk about the misconceptions of success at a school sport level? Yeah, um, for me, really, the the word success has been, I guess, hijacked in a number of ways to, to mean national titles and screen time through college rugby and um, you know, inclusion of academies within your program and everything like that. Uh, potentially the justification for for the recruitment and poaching that's going on in the New Zealand school system because we're, and this is, you can't see this, but quotation marks, because we're giving a better opportunity for these people within our school. And that justification for recruitment and poaching um, is really just this, associated with this fallacy of what success really means. Um, for me and the use of success in this in this project and the way that I sort of approach it is that it is about success in our project is that we want to have the most young men possible finishing their secondary school education and secondary school sporting involvement uh, with the greatest chance possible of maintaining a lifelong involvement in sport and physical activity. How exactly we're going to go about measuring that is going to be pretty difficult, but what we do recognise at the moment is that the majority of our young people are basically losing contact with sport and physical activity post-secondary school. The fall-off rates from, um, in most codes, but some more so than others, is, is huge and dramatic. And success for us in this project is having young men, uh, young people that finish their secondary school sporting environment, have had quality experiences that have been enjoyable, that have met their motivational needs, um, and have them continuing to be participants within that within many sports a singular sport whatever it might be and therefore when there are more participants there's also the greater capacity for those to be selected at the performance or elite type level than what they currently is sport nz's got the statistics about how their talent pool of athletes in the 18 to 24 year old bracket those years directly post-secondary school is plummeting um, the numbers of people that they have to choose from, whatever national sporting organisation has to choose from, uh, is decreasing. And, you know, we're still doing relatively well on a national, in, on an international sporting scale, but that cannot continue if our talent pool continues to shrink. I think you're starting to paint a really good picture, for me anyway. You know, we, we talk about, we talked a little bit about that specialisation and how that can impact students at school and the effects that it has on that and then the research surrounding that and then the experiences that as students are leaving school. And we've we've known for a long time that that drops off. As, you know, People have different responsibilities and managing those as, as we have school leavers and leaving school and being a, an ex-high jumper, athletics was a, was a really big one that had that massive drop off. But now you for me, it's kind of a little bit clearer, I think, how all of this stuff early on is contributing to a failure 
as we hit 18, 19, 20. And you don't consider that really, I don't think. You think about, you're so much in the presence now, but you know what's, what is this little push here going to mean for this person here as they leave school? And then, even further down the line, what's that going to mean for a 30, 40, 50-year-old? Yeah. Then what's the impact on society from there? What's this going to cost us in 30 years' time? You know, it's, I think you, yeah, as I said, painting a really good picture. Yeah, and Sport NZ's most recent publication in the space is called The Value of Sport. And what they put out is this, well, it's a 108 page report, but then there's a 16 page sort of infographic summation of it. And why it's really powerful in relation to this is because we need to start. Uh, re reasserting the true value of sport for our society to people because of what's happened in youth sport especially but but the wider sporting landscape in the last 10 20 years people when they look at sport as they look at career pathways and they look at title opportunities and these sorts of things first we're in reality as physical educators we know that sport and physical activity has the capacity to uh, decrease our chances of ment- uh, physical physical illness and disease. It has the has the opportunity to build our resilience and our mental fortitude, and avoid mental health issues um, such as stress, depression, anxiety. It has the capacity to build build greater social cohesion, um, to cre- create connections across communities, have that uh, communal sense of of value and purpose. It has the capacity to build cognitive functioning and academic success and all of these sorts of things. And in reality the way that a certain percentage of society at least anyway currently view sport those elements of value have been lost and, and a key thing that I think we're trying to do and I hope that that all schools can have some success with is actually recognise the value that sport plays in the lives of young people not necessarily see it as that that obstacle that gets in the road of their academic success or their building of friendships or anything like that. I, I know of of many teachers, not 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 necessarily here at Wellington College, but around the country, that when they hear that they're losing three or four of their students because of a sporting event that's coming up, they're frustrated because it gets in the road of their academic programs, and that's understandable. But ultimately, as educators, I'd love us to recognise that that those things or their involvement in choir or their involvement in you know stage challenge or, or whatever it is are really really valuable components of the holistic education of, of our young people and and if we as educators say no their education is about their time sitting in a chair listening to me spout on about physics just as an example <laughs> um, then then we're really doing them a disservice I'd love to take one of those man, one of those teachers and pick them up and dump them into some sort of alternate reality where extracurricular activity doesn't exist and see how well they cope with their yeah. students in there because I mean you're right and the research is clear that it would be it would be terrible and we do sport does have this value in the classroom um, but it's just acknowledging that and making sure you know our educators understand that as well while I was in Melbourne last year and you know I I went on this on this uh, NZSSC scholarship and we reported back Celia and Matt Cleaver we had a bit of a podcast while we were over there about what we observed and it was really clear and evident at many of these elite sporting schools that the well-being of the student was at the forefront of every sporting decision made so how does this holistic view of a student athlete fit the model and approach that you're currently working on? Uh, so for us I guess our model and approaches stems back to the onwards review that I alluded to earlier and within the vision of that onwards review 
at and in it was written in this order, not necessarily meant in this order, but it was written with, with excellence, development and welfare as the priorities. And the key thing that uh, is really important to acknowledge here is that what we are doing in 2018 is putting the welfare far and away as the key priority to what we're looking at, at doing. Um, we're obviously just at the starting sort of point in that process. Development of athletes is secondary to that, and any sort of sense of of excellence or you know success in the in the sense that it's you know titles and these sorts of things, is the is the positive side effect that comes if we're doing these other things right. So we're looking at I guess changing our community's perceptions about um, the traditional definitions of excellence and success and. And if I think about 2018 as an example, one of the real challenges we face with that is that we we exist in a year where our first 15 is not being incredibly successful um, for a range of different reasons. And the perception of the community and especially of the old boys community is that there's something broken or something that's going wrong here. Um, there's been a real sort of sense of, of negativity sort of pointed towards that team and that code at the moment. Where in reality, they're working incredibly hard um, to maintain the welfare of their athletes, um, making sure that those athletes have a balanced approach to life, um, studies, extracurricular involvement, involvement in culture and the arts and everything like that. They're working their asses off um, to develop the capacity of those, those athletes that they have at the moment. And in reality, in 2018, they're not having the success that we traditionally view it as in terms of, you know, wins on the board and success on college rugby on TV and everything like that. But ultimately, when they sit back and audit their season and look at it, they're hopefully going to have a group of young men that have grown incredibly well through the season, become more resilient because their their welfare, their, their social, their mental, their physical and their spiritual welfare has been at the forefront of what's been going on. Um, and um, and I and I think that what's going on just with that as an example, if we look bigger picture than that as well, is that the welfare at the forefront of what we're trying to do is going to be driven by overcoming the myths around the specialisation, the talent ID, and that hyper focus upon winning that we've already talked at length about. This the rugby team. I want to touch on this for a second. When they started out their season, was this intentional? This, uh, I guess, was did they sit down and go, okay, we're going to focus on this well-being and these things over here, and it was probably going to be at the expense. So we're going to focus on this success, no. and it's going to be at the expense of this success potentially. Uh, no, not specific to that team or anything like that. Certainly in in meetings with our, our previous rector here um, and and college leadership, there was a real recognition that a potential outcome of the philosophical approach that we were going to be taking through 2018 and beyond may well have been a drop off in the traditional definitions of success so in the bigger picture that has been discussed with regards to this team i don't believe that anything necessarily is happening any different in 2018 than it has in any other season yet because where we've engaged to date has been at the club committee level rather than the individual team level Having said that, the coaching setup with regards to two first of rugby here at the school has always put um, the welfare of athletes a as a key priority, even at a time where they were 
um, highly competitive on a national scale and everything like that, they would have always spoken about the the welfare of their athletes as being a priority. So we're not necessarily saying that in that context anything has needs to change or has changed yet in 2018. However, one key outcome that we do want to see happening is the, that the, the quality of experience, the support for the, the welfare of the individual athlete is the same regardless of which sport uh, they end up within. At the moment, a, an athlete, maybe a member of, the, of this rugby team that we talked about, might also show up to a to a cricket or an athletics environment at the end of the season if they're not already an early specialiser. And they may show up there and there's a completely different set of values and philosophies towards what's important. And those are the key things that we want to overcome. We want to get a consistency of philosophy with regards to what is actually the value of sport and what do we place our priorities on within all of our sporting environments so that so that it's not really different in hockey or rowing or, or rugby or whatever that it's this consistency of quality experience for all of them nice and I, I think you take you'd take that um, well-being success over scoreboard success any day wouldn't yeah, you without because a doubt we, we know and you know I've I've coached within, within a number of schools and, and areas and organisations and you know, at times you just feel you want to come in and just wipe the slate clean and say, you know, this is, you draw a line in the sand, we don't cross this because th- these are where our values sit. You don't meet these values, you don't play or you're not on the team and you know you're going to take a hit on the scoreboard. But if you build great men, great young people, you give it two or three years, you're going to be performing well beyond what you could have before in, in your other approach yeah so. without a doubt definitely it, it is interesting that we sort of focus that last part of the conversation upon values because Wellington College is in a new, unique position in that under new leadership we are going through a I guess a community consultation process about about our college's values there's been a fair bit of change and bouncing back and forward with regards to that space in recent years at Wellington College and that's probably been um, to add to our detriment, and it's really exciting to know that under current school leadership, we're going to establish a really um, consistent idea of what the true values of this place actually are. And if we then have the capacity to build that into our sporting environment, then I think that it's really going to be supporting the direction we're going in as well. What is the what does the perfect school system look like to you? You know, if you could craft the way that you approach coaching selection training and all the different aspects that we we go through with our young people and a lot of the stuff we've talked about already can you describe your utopian future of school sport if you can I know this yeah pretty hard. so I, I probably can't can't do that in a holistic way but what I will touch upon is I guess a couple of key key aspects of what that utopian system may look like um, for a school like as um, at a key part of that um, at the heart of that is really the, the quality of the experiences for, for the young people, for the students themselves. And if we can have um, the experience for any of our 1,792 students being of the same quality, regardless of the level of team that they're playing in, the sporting code that they're playing in, or their year level at the school, the quality of the experience for them in terms of getting the true value out of their sporting experience then that will be success and what will stem from that is 
more of them will continue to be involved in it and give back to that sporting experience in the years post-secondary school. However, we can see that in this utopian world, we would see that within our five years of having them, um, and we would see much more um, young people, young men, giving back in the way of coaching and um, officiating and managing sport. I, I see one of the biggest negative outcomes of the current sporting experience in New Zealand is the fact that those putting their hands up to be coaches and referees and umpires in the sporting environment is plummeting far beyond the rate of participation's plummeting. You've only got to look at, you know, um, the Wellington Rugby Referees Association to, to recognise just how desperate they are for more people being involved. But because of the experiences that people are having through their younger years with the sport, for whatever reason, they are less willing to do that. And I think that if we can create an environment where there's, there's a philosophical founding that is such a higher quality for our, for our junior sporting experiences, not only will be people be participating as athletes for a longer period of time, but they'll be participating as, as coaches, as officials, as as managers, as other aspects that, that sport desperately needs. As volunteers, people will be more willing to put their hand up and, and volunteer to play first five or volunteer to set up the cones, to be involved. Um, I also think that in that perfect school system, and we sort of alluded to this earlier on, uh, all of our staff would recognise that what the young person is gaining from being involved in their sporting experiences is of so much greater value than what is potentially lost from them being absent from the odd class or distracted by an upcoming event or something like that. But that will only happen when the quality of experience is where it needs to be and when that quality of experience is recognised by all of those working within our school system as well. So there are a couple of things. That that's in no way a holistic response to your question, but no, and you can you can see why that question is impossible because there are so many contributing factors to to trying to create that perfect yeah. environment. Yeah. You know, it's just not going to happen. But you know, if we can prepare the athlete the best we possibly can, and they have that resilience and they have that foresight and that knowledge to deal with all of those things that challenges that come with being a student athlete then you know you you are going to see aspects of that start to develop yeah without a doubt so before we get to the last question is there anything i might have missed that you want to mention or is there anything you want to ask me um i guess what i was sort of reflecting on asking was i mean you've been pretty much in the new zealand education system for for almost as long as myself (laughs) uh in those experiences are there things that you can reflect upon that i guess have perpetuated these issues or alternatively have there been aspects of your experiences that have really been positive and worked against these issues that sort of exist within our system Mm, tough question I I am quite lucky because I've seen you know I was at a very liberal school for most of my career that sport I guess wasn't valued it was I guess maybe accepted um, and we didn't attract uh, any real solid student athletes because they all came to this school across the road called Wellington College. Um, and then, you know, after eight, nine years, I transitioned to a more traditional school that had a, a rich sporting history. And when you, when you compare and contrast, the big differences I see there 
was that participation at the more liberal school, Wellington High School, and, and again, I, I love the school, I, I talk about the school a lot, um, but sport was pretty frustrating there, but the participation there was for fun. It was for fun, you saw that, you saw the kids, because they weren't, they weren't going to win premier titles, you know, but they were there for the camaraderie, they were there for their friends, they were there for the support and everything that came with that. And then when you compare and contrast to a more traditional school, you start seeing that professionalism come in and you start seeing the pressure for these kids to win and you start seeing the consequences of them not winning. And that's pretty scary when you see that. Um, and you see the attitudes change in, in the kids. And I'm not necessarily saying that this is something that happens at my school, but you see, you hear about it in, at other schools. And, and I'm sure it has happened at Rongatai College, but you get the, the athlete, the student athlete who in classes they feel they're up here they're above their peers mm. oh I'm first 15 or I'm senior A basketball um, you know I'm the one that's important in the school and you see that and that, that's all around that that commodification of sport and and you know body as a machine and all of, all of this, these concepts that we, we talk about and that's pretty scary I think mm. when we are giving potentially giving kids like that so much power when they're just 16, 17 year olds. Yeah, it's that social equity that they carry around with them, which is yeah. is not deserved for any way, shape, or form, really, yeah. is it? It's not a. Yeah. And then I, you chuck in social media and you chuck in all of that peer pressure, and then we're just cooking up this perfect storm where if something doesn't change, we're just going to see this massive implosion. And, um, yeah. Know. I mean, it's really important that you bring up the, the idea of social media there. I've sort of alluded to mainstream media and the fact that you know the televised nature of college rugby over the last I think it was 2009 or 10 it started has been at the heart of of this problem it is it has just made this explosion of hyper professionalization of not only college rugby but all the other codes that see themselves as needing to emulate it in some way is a real problem and what goes along with that in a social media space is a web page like the top 200 page which I'm probably aware of a ranking of the top 200 most capable and able first 15 rugby players around this country Uh, all guys I believe may have changed in in recent years but sort of no reflection of gender equity within that basically the the framework set up to socially, uh, sorry, to cyber bully um, young young men and women of this country on through that platform. That's set up to, it's set up. I'm I'm sure to sort of you know promote those that are doing really well. But by default, others are being uh, bullied and attacked and harassed for this perceived lack of capacity for it. And and the society we exist in, where you know the trolls behind their keyboards think that they can say the most horrible things about people. That's happening in these formalized contexts like that within, you know, f- you know, full, full on media, but then social media as well, and, it, and it's horrible. I, I think the technology gods every day that social media didn't exist when I was at school yeah, because, yeah. Um, yeah, to be honest, I was a pretty arrogant dude at school. I mean, I think I reflect now on my schooling and sport and stuff like that, and I'm a little bit embarrassed about the way I held myself, but. If you chuck social media into the mix, man, I would have been a disaster. Mm. It's terrible. Yeah. Like the, the stuff these kids have to face these days is just unreal. Yeah, it's unreal. And, and I hug back to what you, you mentioned a couple of minutes ago. At the heart of what kids want out of life, but especially want out of sport, is fun and enjoyment. And aspects. And don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm on various forms of social media, as you are as well. And there's so much good that can come from it. But the fun of youth is getting sucked out of life and of sport by, by a number of these things. I reflect back to the onwards review that we've talked about here and all of our boys were asked, why is it that you bother playing sport in the first place if you do? And 
there was a whole range of different motivational factors they could have gone to. Assumptions were made about the fact, okay, winning in titles is going to be somewhere high up there. Nowhere near the top of it. Kids, our kids, and what I assume is the rest of, of kids around this country, play sport because they want enjoyment, they want fun, they want time with their mates. They want some sort of sense that they're developing as a person, uh, you know, skill development, that sort of thing. And winning was nowhere near it. Winning is this thing that is imposed upon young people as being important by, by uh, I need to watch my words here, by certain adults that, that are trying to live their lives vicariously through, through, the, through the young people. And not necessarily parents, but, you know, some parents, some teachers, some of those that sort of run our regional and our national sporting organisations. Bring it back to, and if we think about this utopian um, sporting system that you alluded to beforehand, fun and enjoyment and if it's not there then it needs to be fixed and in all aspects of it I'm not saying just at the participation level at the elite level as well we're great in the fact that our second 15 coach here at the college who's also a DP went into a season recognizing that this year for these guys who have a tough time of it because they're there but they're not they're almost there but they're not quite there is ultimately we want them coming out of the season with fun and enjoyment and if they're better athletes because of it and if potentially they're closer to a first 15 level next year then great but it's not what we're driven by. We're driven by we want 23 guys in the squad to have the most enjoyment in their sport as they possibly can. Yeah. Hoorah. Amazing. Fantastic. It's yeah. a good way to end. Okay, last question. Now, I had to, I did a sneaky Facebook ad last night because I wrote this question. And I was like, hang on, but I might be older than him. So, <laughs> But no, I'm three years younger than you and I do a bit of snowboarding as well and you've just been away on a skiing trip. So um, how hard is skiing now that you're an old man? Incredibly difficult. <laughs> Thank you, your cheeky ship, for bringing this out. I, I, I did it a lot of skiing as a young fella, um, but pretty much early 20s, stepped away from it based on geography. So growing up down south, skied a bunch as a young fella. My first full day skiing, um, probably in 15, 20 years, was with my eight-year-old two days ago on, on Turoa. And we hardly got beyond the learner slopes, and I was a broken, broken man uh, afterwards. Knees, um, knees, ankles, so sore. Those, um, yeah, ski boots are, are the devil's work. They're so uncomfortable, it's not funny. So whilst we love the experience, my eight-year-old is desperate to, to, to take it up and be a part of you know, his diverse sporting experiences. It's going to have to be with a professional, not an old man, I think. <laughs> All right, mate. Look, um, I alluded at the start of this podcast that I, um, I didn't know you particularly well, but you know we've we've sat down for almost an hour now, and I've gotten to hear where your values sit in terms of this whole physical education, school sport, student well-being, and and I think the the students and the staff here at Wellington College are really lucky to have you here, and the work you're doing is is fantastic, and I'm excited to see how um, how the school and how that student welfare and well-being. Um, develops over the next few years because you are doing some amazing things and it's, um, it's it's really inspiring to hear some of the stuff you're doing so well done keep it up I appreciate it Cal time well spent mate thank you cheers